Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Grizz Weekly Grind, a proud affiliate of the Basketball Podcast Network. I'm Pete Pranica, TV voice of the Memphis Grizzlies and your host for the program. This is episode 21. And before we go any further, if there was one thing you could do, one bold action you could take, one inspired choice you could make, one investment guaranteed to transform Memphis, would you do it? If that answer is yes, here's your chance. The Grizzlies Foundation is looking for Memphians to be the difference in a child's life by becoming a volunteer mentor. There are 800 youth in Memphis waiting for your decision today. So don't delay. Join the movement. Become a mentor at grizzliesfoundation.org. This message is brought to you through the generous support of Garner Framing Company, serving Memphis for 70 years and a proud supporter of the Memphis Grizzlies Foundation. Framing consultations are being done now by appointment at 901-685-7796. Call that number. And say hello to my good friend, Chris Garner. He will take absolutely fantastic care of you, and I guarantee that you will be thrilled with the final outcome of your framing project if you go to Garner Framing. Well, what do we got on tap today in Episode 21? Well, we will talk about that was the week that was. Uh, One game to recap since our last visit. We'll do that. As per usual, a handful of Petey's points, and then an extended conversation with Bob Fitzgerald, longtime TV voice, of the Golden State Warriors. Grizzlies starting a four-game homestand on Wednesday night when they take on the Miami Heat. They will then play Golden State back-to-back, both games at home Friday and Saturday. And then the following Monday, they'll wrap up the homestand against the Boston Celtics. So that's what's on deck for Episode 21 of the Grizz Weekly Grind. If you have been listening to the Grizz Weekly Grind, downloading and or subscribing, would really appreciate it if you would leave some uh, words behind or a rating for the podcast. We always like to know just uh, how well we're doing with the podcast, if we're hitting the mark, if we're addressing the topics that you would like addressed. So uh, please do leave us a rating, and we appreciate your continued support of the Grizz Weekly Grind. As per usual, if you have questions that you'd like answered during the course of the show, my DMs are open on Twitter at Pete Pranica. It's just that simple. So with that, Let's get to That Was the Week That Was. Grizzlies wrapping up their two-game road trip Monday in the Valley of the Sun to take on the Phoenix Suns rubber match of the three-game series this year. Grizzlies got off to a good start, which uh, they have done as of late, leading 25-24 after one quarter. Second quarter, the roof started to cave in, and uh, this is just a Phoenix Suns team that is playing very, very well right now, one of the hotter teams in the NBA. Um, Grizzlies, again, as was the case in Oklahoma City, struggled from three, only five threes against Phoenix. That tied their season low, which they had done also against Detroit in a home victory and also against Phoenix in a home loss. Grizzlies just five of 23 from three. Meanwhile, Phoenix goes 12 of 30 from three. And the Grizzlies outshot 57% to 44% overall. Again, the Grizzlies' defense not getting it done. Devin Booker got anywhere he wanted to go after the Grizzlies had held Booker to 17.5 points per game in the first two meetings. He went off for 27. Chris Paul, very solid night for him. 18 points, 7 assists, and 4 steals in the game. Did have 4 turnovers, but it really did not impact the final outcome of the game. Yes, the Grizzlies were plus 22 in the paint, but the bottom line is they were minus 7-3. and three. So uh, that pretty much wipes out any advantage that uh, the Grizzlies had in the paint. Again, Grizzlies defense not on a string, not able to contain a very high-scoring Phoenix Suns team. And for the second time in as many road games, Grizzlies give up 120-plus to an opponent. Nine times now this season, the Grizzlies have given up 120 or more points and 
they have lost all of those games. Grizzlies defense has to get better. There's no question about it. As I said, uh, the week upcoming, Wednesday night at home to Miami. Miami has won 11 of their last 12. That will be a very tough assignment for the Grizzlies. Then a Golden State Warriors team that's hovering around 500. They have had some very, very good wins. Steph Curry is playing excellent basketball right now, and uh, they will be a formidable foe for the Grizzlies. By the way, remember I said that we we're going to talk with uh, Bob Fitzgerald of the Golden State Warriors as our friend of the program today. He will talk about James Wiseman. So all you Memphis Tiger fans will want to hear what uh, James has done since going off to the Bay Area. So that was that was the week that was, and let's get to some Petey's points. Well, number one, the Grizzlies defense, which had been good from about February 19th on in the last two games, just has not been very good. They're not playing with the edge. They're not playing with the level of physicality that you would like them to do. Um, the the loss to Phoenix is, is certainly understandable. I mean, Phoenix is one of the best offensive teams in the NBA. Oklahoma City, far from one of the best teams offensively in the NBA. Grizzlies simply not setting the edge that Taylor Jenkins likes to talk about. Um they're going to have to get nastier, have to get tougher, have to get a little bit more physical, have to make sure the teams feel them. That did not happen in either of the two games on the road, and uh, the opposition just got way too comfortable, particularly from the three-point line. So that's Petey's point number one. Number two, would love to see some more shot attempts for Jonas Valanciunas. He is, at this moment, uh, the one bucket getter that the Grizzlies do have, 24 points against Phoenix on 14 shots, got 10 shots against Oklahoma City. And a lot of the shots, they're, they're not plays designed for Jonas. He goes and he gets offensive rebounds, had uh, eight offensive rebounds in the game at Phoenix. And so that's where he makes that's where he makes his money. And he is among the league leaders in offensive rebounds. At the moment of this recording, uh, he's leading the league in second chance points. He's among the league leaders in putback baskets. That's a lot of his offense. Is there another way that the Grizzlies can get him more involved? Because as I said, he is a basket waiting to happen. And he is a he is a mismatch nightmare for most teams. Not all teams. There are some teams that do have centers that can go up against Valanchunas or uh, have smaller centers, more mobile centers that might cause Jonas some troubles defensively. But bottom line, more often than not, it seems to me, at least to the eye test, that Jonas Valanchunas is going to have the advantage uh, in most center matchups. So can the Grizzlies get him more shots? I'd like Jonas to be in the upper teens in terms of shot attempts because they're going to be around the rim. He's big. He's physical. He can draw contact. He can make free throws. That's what I'm thinking just looking at the eye test. Can we get some more opportunities for Jonas Valanciunas? That would be, uh, be what I'm thinking about. Petey's point number three, let's talk a little bit about the schedule. We all know that the Grizzlies came into the second half knowing that they would have to play 40 games in 68 days. There would be 11 pairs of back-to-backs. The other part of this is, is that in the second half of this season, and uh, thanks to John Schumann of NBA.com who pointed this out, um, the Grizzlies are going to have a league-high 14 games in the second half against teams that played the day before. Okay, so the Grizzlies will still have 11 back-to-backs in the second half of the season, but they're going to be playing a lot of teams that are on the second night themselves. That wasn't an issue uh, against Oklahoma City because Oklahoma City had lost the day before, and then they took care of the Grizzlies on Sunday afternoon. 
so far the Grizzlies have struggled on the second day of back to backs. Um, they are, uh, well, they are four and seven going uh, when they play teams that are on the second night of a back to back. Let me clarify that. Um, so yeah, you have a tired team supposedly day with no rest, and the Grizzlies are just four and seven in those situations. So they haven't been able to take advantage. Of the 14 games in the second half, and the Oklahoma City game was one, that the Grizzlies are playing a team that had played the night before, um, the Grizzlies are going to have eight what we call rest advantage games where they did not play the day before, but the team they're playing played with zero days rest. So the Grizzlies had a day advantage in terms of rest. The rest of the season, the Grizzlies will only have five games in which they are the rest-disadvantaged team, where they are on the second of a back-to-back, and the other team has had a day off. If all games are played as scheduled, and again, this is John Schumann of NBA.com. Thank you, John, for this. If all games are played as scheduled, Memphis would finish with the NBA's biggest differential in rest-advantage games to rest-disadvantage games by a total of eight games. Grizzlies so far this season, however, are only two and four when they have the rest advantage, when they have had a day or two off and their opposition has had fewer days off. Grizzlies are going to have to take advantage. I mean, they have depth. They have everybody healthy with the exception of Jaron Jackson Jr. They're going to have to take advantage of some of these teams that are coming in on the second night of a back-to-back. For example, Miami comes into Memphis on Wednesday night. They played against Cleveland on Tuesday night. So can the Grizzlies take advantage of a Miami team uh, that's going to be without Andre Iguodala and Avery Bradley and Mo Harkless? If the Grizzlies are going to get into the top 10, so they get into the play-in scenario, they're going to have to do better when they're playing a team that is coming in on zero days rest. That, to me, is going to be the biggest thing for the Grizzlies as they go through this season. And then final Petey's point, I think this week is as big a week as any for the Grizzlies in their pursuit of an opportunity to at least be in the play-in game. Um, You had a game against Oklahoma City that you would have hoped that you could have pulled off. The Phoenix game, that was one that was going to be a very, very tough task. Miami is going to be a phenomenally tough task. They have won 11 of 12. Not sure if Jimmy Butler will end up playing in that game because he turned his ankle Tuesday night against the Cleveland Cavaliers. Golden State, obviously very tough. What is the Grizzlies' weakness? They don't defend the three-point shot real well. What does Golden State do real well? Steph Curry shoots the ball real well. And then you have Boston coming in, and Boston's been kind of a mixed bag uh, really throughout the year, but when the Grizzlies played Boston earlier in the year in Boston, it was it was all Celtics. This is going to be a very crucial stretch for the Grizzlies. They go into the Miami game having lost three in a row and two games below 500, and I don't know that New Orleans is going to make up a whole lot of ground, but the Grizzlies simply can't afford to go into a tailspin at this point. So really an important juncture of the schedule for the Grizzlies. I think that this week um, really could tell the tale of how successful the Grizzlies season ultimately will be because they're going to be playing uh, some fairly stiff competition and they're going to have to show up and their defense is going to have to be better and they're going to have to have better shot making or otherwise this, this could be a tailspin. But you know what? The Grizzlies seemingly managed to pull themselves up by the bootstraps when things look a little on the bleak side, and uh, the Grizzlies are hoping that they will do that once again. And so those are the PD's points for today's show, which brings us to our friend of the program. But before we get to our friend of the program, we'll tell you that the Grizz Weekly Grind is being brought to you by 
The Hoop City Basketball Club. Since 2005, their mission has been to assist young student-athletes in grades 1 through 12 in developing a strong work ethic with discipline, responsibility, and accountability. Hoop City has helped young men be great on the court and in the community, and their alumni include major college and NBA players. For more information on how to become part of this great sports and character-building club, log on to HoopCityBC.com. You can also follow them on Twitter at HoopCityBC. As they say, it's in our blood. It's who we are in Hoop City. Today's friend of the program is Bob Fitzgerald, longtime TV voice of the Golden State Warriors. He's also done some playoff games for Turner Sports as well, and he's done several Olympics for NBC. And uh, full disclosure, like me, he is a Notre Dame graduate. Uh, Fitz is a couple years younger than I am. We both work together in the sports department at WVFI AM in uh, South Bend, the campus radio station. And, uh, yeah, we used to do games together back when uh, – back when we were very, 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 very young and college students. So, Bob Fitzgerald, uh, interesting conversation that we had. He talked about James Wiseman, of course, the uh, former Memphis Tiger, and just giving us an update uh, with what COVID has also meant to the state of California and to the Bay Area and what it may mean to the Golden State Warriors going forward. So, without further ado, here's our friend of the program, Bob Fitzgerald. Bob, how strange was last year? I mean, it was strange for all of us with COVID, but you're opening a brand new building and then all of a sudden Steph gets hurt and a team that has perennially been a contender is now anything but. What was that year like? Well, you know what's weird, Pete, is if you think about the Warriors going to the finals five straight years and three championships and the whole bit, within X amount of games, very small sample, you lost Kevin Durant's, Clay Thompson, and then with the broken hand, Steph Curry. It, it was like if you're writing a horror novel, you couldn't have had anything worse than that. Now, you had an offseason in between and some free agency and KD signed with Brooklyn, but you had this elite historic team, Durant out, Clay Thompson, ACL tear in the finals, and then, you know, five games in, Steph Curry breaks his hand. So um, that's the ultimate disaster scenario. And I, very quickly, the Warriors knew that they would not be a very good team. Um, Eric Pascal's the 41st pick was like the one bright spot, but it was just a, oh, wow, no Splash Brothers, no Stephen Clay. And then Chase Center's amazing. You know, you know when FedEx opened and everything, but how cool it is to have a, a new building. And um, I think Chase Center builds on some of the very best things that we have in the NBA. And I think it's fantastic for fans. It was a much needed upgrade after Oracle, which had its own soul and and super fun and 96% of the fans renew their tickets. And, you know, really, I, I think for people that don't live in the Bay area, you have San Francisco, Oakland and San Jose, but they're the golden state warriors. So they're really the Bay's team. There's two football teams with the Niners Raiders, two baseball teams, A's giants, the one basketball team that 11 million people love. So um, open in the building was great team, obviously, you know, was very poor, but the injuries made it much more understandable. And then you have the shutdown and the season ends and you only play, you know, the, you're 15 and 50 and your season's over and, you know, the playoffs and stuff continue in the bubble. You're not even invited. So, yeah, it was uh, the highest highs to the weirdest. Wait a minute. We, the Warriors have the worst record in the league. And that that was uh, quite the roller coaster. Yeah, NBA season by Stephen King. Uh, what is the situation in California right now? Obviously, the two games we're going to play 
with the Warriors will be in Memphis. But what is the situation in California? Because I know it's been particularly hard hit. Are there fans allowed into Chase Center? And, and what's going on with that? Well, the, the thing about California, again, for people who don't live here, is that you know, with 40 million people, one out of every eight Americans is a Californian. So it's, it's amazing, the population of the state. But the Bay Area, San Francisco, San Jose, Oakland, really has been phenomenal all during COVID. Um, the county I live in, San Mateo County, has a positivity rate of under 1%. Um, so it basically, within 750,000 people live in the county, and there's you know, 8, 9 million in the Bay Area proper. The positivity rate, the case rate, um, the, the death rate, unfortunately, you know, very, very low kind of throughout the pandemic. Um, I was the first area to have a, a shutdown order. And you have Apple and Google and Facebook and so much technology here and Stanford and Santa Clara and UCSF and all these brilliant medical minds. People went to masks right away, the distancing, the stay at home was followed pretty strictly. And I give that a lot of credit for not having, you know, much more of a spread and, and much more of a problem, given the amount of population that's here. Yeah. Are you allowing people into Chase Center or not, not just yet? Not just yet. Um, to Chase Center, the Warriors, I believe, are the only team that it, we have tested every single person to come into the building, whether you're the janitor or Steph Curry or the TV broadcaster, you cannot enter Chase Center without a negative PCR test that day. So that is as strict an implementation and safety and protocols. And we have had no cases. You know, it's a lot, a lot like the bubble in Orlando that had no cases during the NBA playoffs. I do think because the Warriors paid for the lab and the testing and will continue to do so, we want to test all our fans. And so that would be to come to a Warrior game. We'd love to have you. You would test negative or you would be vaccinated and you wear a mask. And that would make it kind of the safest place to be in the world. So um, that may be, you know, a month and a half down the road, but that's way above my pay grade. And, you know, real smart people make that decision. And I'll just abide by whatever they tell me to do. Well, I was talking with Brian Anderson of Turner Sports a little earlier, and he said, I felt in Orlando, it was the safest place in the world. Yeah. Because everything yeah, was, was, was so well adhered to. I saw BA a lot. And, you know, the only time you were around other people, in addition to doing the broadcast was when we were golfing. So it was, you couldn't go anywhere, but you could go outdoors on a golf course, which obviously you're not close to anybody. And then, you know, in terms of meals, you had a lot of them in your room. And then when we went to broadcast the games, we were all tested regularly. And um, yeah, I was, I was really proud of the NBA that they're able to finish the season and super fun kind of being a part of it, calling playoff games. But um, I was there 20 days the guys that were there 70, 80, 90 days, and all credit to the Lakers um, for being there the whole time and winning the championship. Same thing with the Heat and making the finals. I, I really admire those guys. They, they did a tremendous job with that. We're visiting with Bob Fitzgerald, longtime TV voice of the Golden State Warriors. He's today's friend of the program on the Grizz Weekly Grind. All right, uh, what's up with this team? We have not seen the Golden State Warriors. Uh, some modest win streaks. Not a lot of long losing streaks, except for a recent four-game slide, but let's be honest, it was the Lakers, Portland, Phoenix, and the Clippers, but then you come back and beat Utah. So what's up with this Golden State team right now? Well, there's only two teams in the league that have beaten the Lakers, the Clippers, and the Jazz, and that is the Brooklyn Nets and the Golden State Warriors. So uh, the Warriors are capable on a given night of doing damage to the very good teams, 
and they usually beat up on the, you know, the lesser teams, but the Warriors are very middle of the road. They're very young after Steph Curry and Draymond Green. They don't have a lot of veterans. They have some mid-prime guys like Andrew Wiggins and Kelly Oubre, but otherwise they got a lot of puppies and a lot of inexperience, and it shows. Um, kind of remarkable that they're top five in opponents' field goal percentage, so they get you to miss, but they're a very poor rebounding team. So they don't go get the ball once they get you to miss, which uh, makes you have to guard a team again and again and again. Um, they're kind of middle of the road in terms of shooting threes. If you took Steph out, um, they're really not a good three-point shooting team. But they play hard. The camaraderie and chemistry is really good. And you can see glimpses of what they will look like with James Wiseman, the return of Clay Thompson, potentially Minnesota's draft pick, and even the Warriors maybe their own first-round pick. And the growth of an Eric Paschal, do you re-sign Kelly Oubre? There, there's, a, there's a picture of how this team could return to elite status. But the goal, I think, is to have a winning record and, and get into the playoffs, which I count as the top 10 this year with the, the play-in 7, 8, 9, 10. And I think that's a realistic goal, and hopefully the Warriors will do it. How far back is Steph? Is he all the way back? Is he the Steph Curry that the NBA has come to know and love before the broken hand? He's actually better in this sense. His body is stronger, so he drives, takes more contact, and because teams top lock him and play him outside the three-point line because he's such a superior shooter, he has driven the ball more this year and finished in, in a variety of ways, maybe more than any point in his career. Now, he has seen box and ones thrown at him, consistent double teams. They bounce him around like a pinata. Um, without Clay Thompson as a floor spacer, teams can really put a lot of attention on Steph. So for him to be averaging near 30, he had his career high 62 against Portland. Um, I, I think he's had a phenomenal season. There was a stretch where he was pretty close to 50, 40, 90. And to do that at age 33, which he just turned on Sunday. Uh, yeah, I think he's, he's in that top 10 player in the league MVP level. And at his age, it's pretty remarkable. A lot of people around here in Memphis want to know about James Wiseman and what he has meant to your franchise uh, coming out of uh, the University of Memphis. I love James Wiseman, and he actually was the guy that I wanted the Warriors to get the whole time. And as the last year's wins and losses kind of slipped away, I, I was focused on Wiseman a lot. First of all, he speaks Mandarin, all right? And he did that at his introductory press conference. And the Bay Area has the second largest population of Chinese-Americans outside of mainland China. So um, incredibly intelligent, wonderfully spiritual in terms of, you know, him and his mom quote biblical scriptures a lot and in context too, which is remarkable, very mature for his years, but he's a kid. He is a 19 year old kid that had three college games as people in Memphis know. Um, and so I think you see glimpses of some of the most extraordinary ability that you would see in a, you know, someone with a 9-1 standing reach and 7-5 wingspan. But you also see a kid that defensively in the NBA, it's angles and the speed of the game and the physicality of it. So he's been thrown in the deep end of the pool a little bit. But he's hit threes. He's gone coast to coast. He's blocked shots. He's been a phenomenal dunker and has a beautiful skill level. He's got a lot of David Robinson in him um, and his favorite players are kind of David Robinson and Kevin Garnett and those type of players. And 
You know, I, I see glimpses of it. I think he's going to be a wonderful player and really fit in with the Warriors when they're fully ready to rock and roll next year. Wiseman's going to be a big, big part of it. Well, you talk about you got a lot of puppies there. And uh, yeah, you mean you got a 19 year old puppy who is going to learn the game will slow down and he'll begin to understand and probably grow into his body as well. I would imagine that uh, your strength and conditioning and performance staff is, is looking on um, or making sure that he hits the weight room from time to time. Yeah, you know, it, it, the musculature is there. He's just a little light in the cakes, you know, for, for a 19-year-old kid. And you see him go against your, your Marcus Sauls of the world. <laughs> you know, it's, Now, he can outrun all of them. I mean, Draymond Green already said, Wiseman's the fastest guy on the Warriors because in about two strides, he's taken up half the court. So he can run, and that's why the David Robinson thing kind of jumps at me. Man, he's left-handed. Um, but as he thickens a little bit, you know, I don't know that you know seeing Stevie Adams and these these people all down the road that the NBA provides, but uh, I, I think Wiseman's going to be really really good, and uh, I think the Warriors we are we are thrilled that uh, he he fell right in the perfect spot, and you know with all drafts you look at who was available, who did you take, and as long as you're in the top ten, you have somebody who's there for seven, eight, ten years. That's a good pick. You know, we can always play the reorder the draft. I don't think the Rockets are bummed that they didn't get Michael Jordan because Hakeem Olajuwon turned out pretty good. You know, the same yeah. thing with Carmelo and Dwayne Wade and LeBron. Like, if you took Darko Milicic, you might have, you know, some regrets. <laughs> yes. Otherwise, if you get a quality, productive player for a long time, you did well. James Wiseman is going to be really good. Well, a guy who's going to be really productive and has been productive and someone who I think maybe on a national level might be a little misunderstood unless you're a Golden State Warriors fan. And I know you're particularly close to Draymond Green. Tell us something about Draymond that the casual NBA observer would have no clue about. That his heart is always in the right place in terms of <clears throat> when, when, when you screw up in life, you have that people that just stick to the end and, you know, I, I don't care that I screwed up and I'm going to, and then you have the people that really reflect and say, I, I can be better than that. That was not my best moment. I shouldn't have done this. I owe it to the people I care and love about to, to behave in a different manner. And that's Draymond. He always returns to center. He always comes back to his true self. Um, I think nationally people see, the barking and the technicals. And if you only saw him in those, those glances, I, I, I understand what the, the view would be. But this is a player that has 26 triple doubles. The Warriors are 25 and one when he has a triple double. He's, he's a power forward who's been a defensive player of the year, who's top 10 in the league in assists. He's essentially the Warriors point guard because you play him with the ball so you can play Steph off the ball. I have never, and Allen Iverson's the only other guy I can think of this way, I've never seen Draymond play in a game where he wasn't playing 100 miles an hour all the time. And, and that is a skill to show up and play that hard game after game after game, year after year after year, 102 playoff games over a five-year stretch. Uh, I'll take Draymond Green six days a week and twice on Sunday. Now, Steve Curry uses a good thing. What makes Draymond great Occasionally he bubbles over and does things you don't like, but you know what? You live with the bubble overs because all the other goodness comes from that intensity and the way he runs hot. So I, I think, you know, mama green raised him the right way. 
This guy was the 35th pick in the draft. What he did at Michigan State, what he's done internationally, what he's done with the Warriors, he's going to be in the Hall of Fame. And I, I just, I appreciate him. He's a, he's a genius defensively. He knows the game so well. He doesn't care about scoring. He's like in that Shane Battier mode where it's all about passing. I think he'd rather have a better assist than a score, to be honest. And he's a huge leader and a big energy guy. So Steve Kerr calls him the heartbeat of the Warriors. Steph is the eye candy and the talent and the stardom. So is Clay Thompson. Draymond is the heartbeat. He is a, a huge core of why this team has always been elite. Yeah, without Draymond, that, that team is, is totally different. Great shooters, but yeah, he, he really is the heartbeat and the soul of that team. You mentioned Steve Kerr. A couple things about Steve, and I know that you have a really good relationship with him. I have always been a big Steve Kerr fan. I was with him one year in Portland, got to know him pretty well, and I just I have the greatest respect for Steve Kerr. During the last year, very, very forward-facing, uh, politically, socially with uh, COVID, how did that go over with, with, with the fan base? Because not everybody in any fan base is going to be 100% politically aligned. Yeah, I think the thing with Steve, and, you know, he, and I think everybody in a public situation kind of wrestles with it. You have a platform. So do you go to the Michael Jordan? Hey, everybody buys shoes, and so I don't want to offend anybody. That's, that's a business model move. I, I get it. Or do you say, I have this platform and I'm going to talk about gun safety and, and, and because my father was killed by a gun. I think he has the leverage and the, and the right to do that. You know, then you look at with COVID, he's a trusted speaker. So when he says, hey, can we care about each other and everybody wear a mask and stay six feet away and try to avoid this once in a hundred year pandemic that's killing people? I, th I think people are glad that Steve Kerr says, come on, you know, let's, let's put a mask on and, and be smart here and, and protect your family and your friends and, and really society. Let, let's care for one another. So um, I think he has looked at, if he's asked an honest question, he will give you an honest answer. I don't think he says, hey, the Warriors won by six or lost by six. By the way, let's talk about, you know, income taxes. Like he doesn't do that. But people come to him, much as they do Greg Popovich and other people, and they ask him, you know, questions about the world. And I don't think Steve shies away from that. And, you know, his father was an incredible educator, as is his whole family. He is so well-read and so deeply respected. I don't like people that talk about really important key things off the cuff without really immersing themselves in the minutia of what they're talking about. Steve is incredibly well-read and really does not just speak casually about incredibly significant things. So you're right. Not everyone's going to agree with everybody, but you know what? I think when we have a dialogue where, hey, Pete, I'm going to respect your thoughts. Hey, this is what I think. Maybe we can kind of come together and, 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 and suss out, you know, a better path for all of us. Man, we need to get back to more of those conversations. So, you know, for Steve Kerr, I, I love him. I mean, he's, as a coach, he's amazing. How he interacts with superstars all the way to bench guys because he was a role player for most of his career is incredible. His X's and O's are fantastic. But if he were an insurance salesman, he'd be one of your best friends. I mean, he just is, he's such a good person. And there's a reason Bob Myers, Steve Kerr, with Joe Lacob and Peter Guru owning the team, you know, 
a lot of sports is luck for sure. But Branch Rickey said, you know, luck is the residue of design. And I'll, I'll take my ownership with Bob Myers and Steve Kerr. It's amazing. I think how you get a little lucky sometimes. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I, I know Steve was always very well read. And, and, and part of that, it, well, it, it wasn't because of Phil Jackson. Of course, Phil Jackson, with the stories with the Bulls, where he, there would be a reading list and, and people right. would, he would, he would, he would hand out books. And Steve is always well, very well read. And you make an excellent point in that when Steve says something, it's not totally off the cuff. It's, it's almost always, I, I, well, always well thought out. Yeah. Um, great communicator. And I, I, I was going to ask you as the final question, what makes Steve such a good coach? But, but I'm getting your answer already that a big part of it is his ability to communicate with anybody at any time. And I think that that's a gift that isn't, isn't all that common. And I think that's what sets him apart. Well, I, I think also, too, if you, were, if you and I were going to mold a coach, let, let him play in college for Lute Olson, who's a Hall of Famer. Let him watch the Michael Jordan, Phil Jackson dynamic and be on a championship team in Chicago. And then let him watch the Tim Duncan, Greg Popovich dynamic and be on championship teams in San Antonio. And then, oh, by the way, go be a broadcaster, go be a general manager, and then now be a coach. Like if we were scripting and molding this, this coach out of clay, I don't think you could have a better path than Steve Kerr has enjoyed. Now make him uber smart, unbelievable intellectual curiosity, IQ, and then EQ, that emotional quotient. And as you said perfectly, how do I deal with Steph Curry? How do I deal with James Wiseman? It's not the same. And so I think that's where Steve is pretty amazing is the end of the, the bench guys, Steve's been there. So he does that. He's watched how coaches communicate with superstars. I, the Scottish Steve, people don't see that's the clipboard breaker mm -hmm. and the, you know, the be, beware of the fury of the, the patient man type of thing. When he snaps, look out. But by and large, I, I think his leadership is really something special and really something, you know, fun to, to watch and see how a team coalesces and comes together. So I, I think the Warriors have one more run in them with Steph, Clay and Draymond but it'll be because Steve Kerr will figure out how to integrate the youngsters with the championship DNA and see if the Warriors can get to the mountaintop again. I remember very clearly Marv Albert and Steve Kerr were doing a playoff game in Memphis. Okay. And it was right when Steve was trying to weigh his options between the New York Knicks and the Golden State Warriors. And the rest, as they say, is history and much to the benefit of the Golden State Warriors organization. Yeah, now I'll just, I'll say this gently because I love the Knicks and Mike Breen and Marv and everybody there, but given where the Knicks roster was and given where the Warriors roster was, if Steve chose to coach the Knicks instead of the Warriors, maybe he wasn't as smart as we all think he is. So he chose wisely because, you know, at the end of the day, go with the talent. <laughs> Very wisely. And I, and I remember, and I said, you know, Steve, look, I don't want, I don't want to put you on the spot. I'm just asking you as a friend you know, talk to me about this decision that you're making. And, and part of it was family because he yeah. has family on the West coast. Uh, but certainly the roster with golden state was, was much more attractive. And um, like I said, I, I am a huge Steve Kerr fan thrilled for his success, your success. 
and uh, we will see you guys on Thursday and on Friday. So Bob Fitzgerald, you have a, have a great call and, uh, and stay safe there in what uh, San Mateo County, the safest County in the United States. Safest County in the United States. Say hi to Brevin for me. He knows Stanford's just down the road, but you guys do a phenomenal job. I catch you on league pass all the time. I miss seeing you and saying howdy. And we'll, we'll, hopefully we'll get to do that soon. Sounds good. Thanks for the time. Well, thanks to Bob Fitzgerald. Hope you enjoyed that conversation. Always good to catch up with him and find out what's going on with Golden State. And that might have been one of the first conversations we've had in the last, I don't know how many years, where Notre Dame football was not brought up, interestingly enough. However, Fitz was wearing a Notre Dame t-shirt when we did the interview. That does it for this edition of the Grizz Weekly Grind, which has been brought to you by the Youth Athletic Foundation. Its mission is to assist student-athletes in developing a strong work ethic through discipline, responsibility, and accountability. Their goal, to help youngsters understand the importance of working hard and to be the best they can be on the court, in the classroom, and in the community. The YAF has donated millions of dollars to charities, families, local high schools, and youth sports programs. I'm Pete Pranica. Thanks so much for listening to Episode 21 of the Grizz Weekly Grind, a proud affiliate of the Basketball Podcast Network. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next time. 